because the time changes right if you're on the Hebrew calendar. So 6.30-ish, May 17th, 1957, was the conclusion of the Parsha or the Torah portion called, see if I can get this. Um, no, I can't get it. I had it. I had it all day, but I can't get it now. That kutotai or something. And it's from the word koka, which means statutes. So the Torah portion that was being read when I was born, was called In His Statutes, which, you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, yes, I, I don't know that the Torah portion you're born under makes a difference, but I suspect that it does because I, I mean, since the day I was interested in following after Yahuwah, that has been my deal. I've always been interested in why doesn't the church do what the Bible says? And as a, you know, as a brand new Christian, six months into my walk, which I've been, you know, been saved for a long time, but officially at church, it was six months into my walk and the pastor asked me to do a couple, you know, a series on creation evolution because that's at the time what I was interested in. And that's when I learned that most Christians don't believe the Bible. When a number of them were nagging at me after the, you know, after the deal about, oh, you don't really believe that. <laughs> yeah, I do, actually. I, I believe the words of the Bible. And so that was my first introduction to many people in, and this is a Calvary. This isn't like a Methodist church or something. You know, many people don't believe the Bible that say they're Christians. And that... And so I remember saying to my wife and a number of other people that that was, that was, you know, all these people are going to Africa and India and, you know, all this stuff. And I said, that dude, that's not, that's not me. My ministry is right here because most of these people don't know what the Bible says. And, and I knew nothing about the Bible, but I knew enough to know that's not right. You come to church and you worship and you say all these things and do all these things and you turn around and you live like, and you believe things that are not, that's not right. Somebody's failing somewhere. And it's just interesting that I was born at the time. I mean, that was the Parsha when I was born, was in his statutes. And it's talking about uh, obviously being in his statutes. It's the last Torah portion in uh, Viagra, Viagra. <laughs> and if my birth stretched, you know, a little bit, which they do sometimes, and I was the firstborn, so they take longer, right? If it stretched even a few minutes, I would have been into the Torah portion Bidmar or Numbers. So it's, it would have been the first Torah portion of the book of Numbers, which is the Torah portion where they're identifying all of the tribes of Israel and the numbers and where they are and all that stuff. So you get that big cross walking through the desert with the temple in the middle and all of that stuff so that's the first Torah portion so i'm one or both of those is what i was born under um, so you know the question is does that make a difference i mean is was was it just coincidence you know just random luck of the draw i was born on that day and that's what they were and by the way this Torah portion in his statutes, I've had this all day, and I can't do it now. This Torah portion in the statutes is the Torah portion uh, that we're doing. This, that's this week, right? And it was, it's, and I don't know, I'm, I'm probably reading way too much into this, but as I consider uh, on my birthday, Tuesday the 17th, we went to Delta and looked at a piece of property. Wednesday, we made an offer and they accepted it. Next Tuesday, which was this, this Torah portion we're still in, um, in my statutes, we went down and approved, you know, did the inspection and approved it all. And then next Tuesday, um, it's ours. No must, no fuss, 10 days. Well, it could have been 10 days, but it couldn't get Friday out. Couldn't get today out. Um, it was, it's just, it's hassle-free. It's bizarre. It doesn't cost us anything. I mean, I was like just telling some of you guys that, Fees were nothing that all, all, everything that you pay, house or insurance and property tax and utilities is like a third of what we pay here. Um, seven acres, 
of just heaven. You know, it's just, I mean, it's unbelievable. So as you consider in his statutes and, and I'm considering how this all fell, and we've looked at, I can't tell you how many properties, and we've tried our best to buy a property here so we could stay here. And it's just every time we get the door slammed in our face, and it's just clearly not, uh, not the deal. So um, I got to thinking about that, and my whole life, in you know, my whole Christian life, has been spent in his statutes. And I don't understand, to this day, I don't understand why churches don't teach that, why you can read, they read it from the pulpit. And I would say to myself, but you don't do that. You know, doesn't that seem odd to anybody here? And uh, I don't know, but that's been the way that I kind of roll. And it's sort of been interesting to me to, because it's been the whole life. I mean, pastors and friends and family and anybody who knows anything about Christianity tries to tell me that the path I'm on will not end well. And it doesn't matter because I'm just compelled to, to, to find out what the word is and what it says and to try to do those things and it's uh you know it's possibly i don't know it's just is it a coincidence that that's the sign i was born under i don't know so you look at uh the significance of all of this together you know and, and we all know he knew us from before the time we were in our mother's womb he placed us at this time in history in this place none of this is an accident. Um, his his word is true. Um, he he fulfills even the smallest detail of the Torah, like things we saw, you know, in tabernacles and, and all these feasts. Like he's gathering he's gathering wheat at his resurrection because that's the day, according to the Torah, you gather wheat and make that first offering. I mean, he fulfills every single detail. Um, and, and we know that the word is true. So it seems to me that it's, it, it would be amazing to me if it didn't matter what Torah portion we want. The, the body of believers is a body. And the scriptures talk about that all the time, right? And to be a body, there are all these different parts that have to work together. And each of us have different interests and different abilities. And, and, and he could easily piece that together to be exactly what he wanted it to be. And those things could easily be expressed by the Torah portion you're born under. And it's not you're going to be this way because it's he placed you in a womb because that's the way he made you, right? And I don't know. And I would be happy to help you find, uh, you know, the parsha you were born under. Uh, there's a thing called Hebrew calendar, which is hebcal, H-E-B-C-A-L.com. And you can find it there. It's, it's very convoluted because Hebrew is all about life and looking forward. And to ask this thing to go backwards, uh, it's not as simple as, but anyway, it will tell you the Torah portion of you know whenever your birth was and then you can read the torah portion and you know figure it out for yourself and i have uh my stones edition of the hamash which is a uh, it's basically a commentary it's a hebrew commentary no different than any of the commentaries you know your pastors read oh yeah there's that are you the recordings oh yeah. is there anybody on no um okay it's no different than the commentaries any of your pastors teach from or read or learn from, except these people are Hebrews. They're Jews. They're rabbis for the most part. And they do the same thing every commentary does. They go through and they look at the verses and what they say and what it possibly means. So for me, I find it to be uh, just an interesting foundation. I don't necessarily believe everything they say, but it's, it comes from a perspective that we'll never get anywhere else. Right. And it's a perspective of the people that live this. Right. And uh, so anyway, I, I brought it. It's like all Hebrew books. It opens what we would call backwards. I would suggest our books open backwards. And it's a it's a it's a tad confusing because most of it's in Hebrew, which reads um, which the opposite of what it reads right to left. And when it gets to the English translation, of course, you can't write Hebrew. I mean, English that way. So the English is written right to left. It's you know what I mean? It's written the other way. And so that means you're starting 
like we normally would think of starting at the you know the what the top left of the page and reading down to the bottom right you start at the bottom left and you know whatever and then you flip the page backwards to get but it's 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 good solid information and it's you know it's it's what i do i think you know you could benefit from learning some of the some of the basics um but anyway um so i was you know i was born on a day that could go and a time that could go either way on the hebrew calendar so you know bidmar is is when the the children of israel were all camped together and that word camp you know is 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 coin and coal and we unfortunately translate as grace but it's camp and all the children were camped and that's the whole that's the first parsha of of uh, Bidmar is that they're all camped together and they in this cross and uh, you know work like that. Okay, so um, you know in in light of Nedronai's life being totally upended <laughs> in ten days, um, I wanted to share some of the things I was thinking and 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 learning. So this parsha begins in twenty six three. And it says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them. Okay, so that sounds like me, right? I mean, that's the deal. If you walk in my commandments and keep them and do them. And that word uh, kukok is, is what the Parsha is named for. And it means statutes. Um, so it says walk keep and do and they say that that means to know to study and to perform walk keep and do know study and perform and that's kind of what we've been talking about for years here and i've been talking about for many years elsewhere i mean we've done this for what four years or something it's been it's been a while so uh four or five then the next couple of verses goes to <laughs> he could do it i'm sure i will if if you walk in my statutes keep my commandments and do them then i will give you rain in due season and the land shall yield her increase and the trees of the field shall yield fruit and your threshing shall reach unto vintage and the vintage shall reach unto sowing time and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely and it you know, as I was reading that and then considering our new upended lives, that has new meaning. You know, the, the rain and the fruit and the and and just imagine that this is what he's saying. If you do these things, if you, you know, if you if you walk, do and believe, act, then these things will happen. And imagine picking your crops, and there's so much to pick that it runs, the early crops run into the late crops. And then you have to start picking the late crops. And the late crops are so many things to pick that it runs into the time when you're supposed to be planting again. And that's the very picture of the abundance of God, right? You've got so much stuff, you don't even know what to do with it. Can't you, and it's, it says in some of these things, they just have to throw some of it away because there just aren't any people to need it. You know, they would give to the poor and they would feed everybody and there were still too many crops. And why is that? Because you obeyed and did and performed the statutes. You, you believed those things. You trusted the word of God. And like most scripture, it's if then. If you do this, then this will happen. But if you don't do this, then this will happen. So if you, you know, if you choose to do this or act this way or choose this path, then you expect certain things to happen to you. And if you're doing the things the Lord asks you to do, you expect good things. I mean, it's no promise of living in a rose garden and things are always going to happen, but you expect the abundance of God because you're obeying the things that he's asked you to do. So you would expect rain in due season and you know, just heavenly harvests and, and, and all of that. And it had a new meaning to me, 
now this week because all of a sudden um, he has, yeah, I mean, I'm not, nothing, you know, I'm not a farmer or a rancher, but he has moved us. I mean, you, you could, and you would probably agree, you could feel the hand of God in the small of your back, just like pushing you. It's like, no, 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 you've got to see this. You've got to see what I've got for you. And every other place we've ever gone, the door's just shut in your face and nothing's gone right. And it's not, and this was just so different and easy. It was just, it was bizarre. And we didn't really want to, um, you know, leave, but I think there's a point to it. I think there's a purpose to it. And um, I personally would not be surprised to find that all over the country, all over the world, there are little, little people, you know, little people like us, that he's, he's just saying, no, no, I've, I've got something. I, I need you. I want you to go do this. You, you know, you have obeyed or you will obey or please obey. And there's a blessing, but it's not just for you. It's the blessing for, and that's the way it was when you could, when your grain grew so long that you were harvesting when you were supposed to be harvesting the fruit and the fruit grew so long that you, you were harvesting when you're supposed to be planting the grain again. It was just that kind of abundance that scripture describes. And it would not be a surprise to me to find, because I still believe this is the absolute end times, that there is um, something afoot, right? This is, this is probably going to happen everywhere there's going to because the, you know the world the world health organization that you, you know you guys all know what's going on and they're they're trying to crush everyone and control everyone but yeshua yahuwah i think have a different answer and i don't know i'm i'm we're excited to, to go down there and do all this stuff we're sad to the max to you know to be missing you guys but we could maybe still come back on friday nights um however it works out but i think there's a bigger plan afoot i think there's something you know worldwide or his people because his people are scattered all over the world right and it's not that we we live in you know the nation of israel again we we will but we don't yet so now they're scattered so he has to have a plan to gather them and to provide for them and to protect them and to think that the possibility of that that we might be part of that plan is um, is shocking. <laughs> um, but anyway, so much of the Bible is is agricultural in nature. The examples and the words and you know and it it kind of had to be that way because there were no Fortune 500 companies, no high tech industries. You know, agriculture was the deal, really. So it's not surprising that the Bible speaks in those terms. Um, but it's a little surprising to us that we would find ourselves living on a little, a little ranch. So I fully expect that this is no accident. And there's a, you know, there's a, there's a purpose in the hand of God. Because it was just, it was just bizarre. So when we consider the blessings of God, um, we tend to think of them as spiritual, and they are. I mean, you know, clearly all the blessings of God have a spiritual meaning. But they, they often don't play out that way. They play out in the real world, in the physical world, in things, right? We, if we receive a blessing from God, that could be a spiritual thing, and it could change our heart and change our mind and the way we think and all that stuff. But there's usually a physical aspect of that. We're blessed by uh, health or, you know, extra fruit or not being attacked or, you know, what, whatever it is. There's usually a physical response um, to that. And in, in this section... Um, it says, if you obey and you do these things, if you know, so if you read and study, and if you do uh, those things, then you're going to dwell safely in the land. It says your enemies won't attack you, and they won't even pass through your land on the way somewhere else. It says five of us will send a hundred to flight, and a hundred will pursue 10,000, if we choose to know, to study, and to do his statutes. And then the world, and even the the, the Christian world looks at these statues like the dreaded commandments, 
You know, they're putting you in bondage if you obey those things. In spite of the fact, every verse that talks about it says, if you do them, you will be blessed, not just spiritually, but physically and, and emotionally and in every way. And I don't understand how it is that we can read that and come away with a different meaning or uh, it, it, it makes no sense to me. But I do know this, that if, 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 you know, God is blessing us and say he moves you to a ranch in Delta or something, and all of a sudden, you know, your pastures are just 20 feet high with alfalfa grass and all the trees you plant are just dropping fruit all over the place, the world will work its little heart out to find a worldly or a scientific explanation because they cannot believe, and this goes for most Christians too, they cannot believe that God just did that because that doesn't make sense to them because they don't believe God really is who he is, that he can do this. He created the entire universe. Do you not think he can put apples on an apple tree and cause it to just be full of apples? You know, that doesn't need a scientific explanation. It's not this special fertilizer. It's not because, you know, you, you, you threw the dice the right way or you got extra strong duck poop on it or something. It's because that's the way God, well, that, they say that's good. I don't know. Uh, because that's the way God works, right? So, um, but, um, okay. Go to Vaikra 26, 11 through 13. And I set my tabernacle among you, and my soul should not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and I will be your Elohim, and you should be my people. I am Yahuwah Elohechem, and I think I spelled it wrong, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their bondman. And I have broken the bonds of your yoke and made you go upright. Well, that's good. We want that, right? But you're only going to get that if you obey and know and do. And we're not taught to do that. But then the then the then part begins. So in verse 14, it said, but if you will not hearken unto me, and you will not do all these commandments, and if you shall despise my statutes, and if your soul shall abhor my judgments, so that you will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant. And it goes on for 39 more verses. This is the last, well, this is chapter 26 of the book of Viagra, Leviticus. 39 more verses. The, the, the blessings are quick and easy. You know, you'll be safe. It'll be plentiful. Life will be good. I'll be your God. You'll be my child. It's excellent. 39 verses of, if you don't, this is how your life's going to go. Uh, uh, terror, consumption, fever, blindness, no strength. You will plant in vain. Others will eat it. Trees will not bear fruit. He will turn his face from you. Your enemies will reign over you, and you will flee when none pursue you. That's just the first one. <laughs> this is in like two verses. You've got 37 verses left to go. Yeah, this is, and the purpose of this is, okay, look, in, in verse 18, and if you, um, let's see, if you will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. So, and it's, it's unfortunate that in English we use the word punish because that's not really what it says. It, he allows you, to go down the broad road. I mean, you can go down the broad road if you want. There's consequences to it. And it's not that he's doing it. He's, he showed you the path of least resistance. He showed you the way to go. He's given you the instructions to make the best of the situation. You don't have to go that way. You don't have to believe him. You don't have to walk that path. But what he says is if you don't, these things will, will await you, terror, consumption, fever, blindness, no strength. You'll plant, you'll plant in vain and, and not eat it. The trees will not bear fruit. It will turn its face from you. Your enemies will reign over you. And you will flee when none pursues you. And that's the good news. 
So you go on and you read the other 37 verses and it goes from bad to worse. Animals will come and eat your children and then they'll eat you and they'll eat your friends. There'll be no food and you'll be cast out and uh, everyone will be your enemy. And, you know, I mean, it goes, it goes bad quickly. It goes bad. But the point is he's not doing this to punish you. He's, he's, he's trying to redeem you. You're on the wrong path. He wants you to say, whoa, I don't want to be on this path. I want to go the other way. I want to follow you. That's the whole point. And your life will get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until you finally say that. Or you won't. And if you don't, that's the end of the game. You're done. But at some point, you're going to be like the dog and quit crying, I hope. Sparky is having a bad day over there. I don't know what the deal is. Um, it's, it's, you know, we think of, of the far side cartoon, you know, where God's pushing the smite button and dropping the pan on the guy. That's not how it works. It's not just some random capricious, uh, you know, death vibe that God sends out. He wants you to go on the path that is most beneficial to you, that will lead you to him, to the place that is most beneficial at the end. And if you get off that path, like any, any parent, he disciplines his child and said, look, I don't know. I mean, I know guys do this different than girls. The stove is hot. Don't touch the stove. The stove is hot. Don't touch the stove. Oh, honey, the stove's hot. Don't touch the stove. Go ahead. Give it a shot. You know, because that's how you learn, right? Put your hand up there and see what happens. And I know what'll happen. You'll never touch the stove again. You might not ever cook, right? Because you don't want to get near that box. But that's the deal. He wants you to go on the right path. He, the word is yasar. That's translated as punish. And yasar means to instruct or to chastise. He's not punishing you punitively because you're acting like an idiot. He could, but that's not his deal. He's trying to redeem you back into a state where you want to get on the right path. And the easiest way to do that, the easiest way to get rid of all the problems is just to follow him, to do what he asks. That's why he, you know, he doesn't put all these commandments out there and all these instructions because he's a big mean bully and wants to see you jump. He puts them out there so you won't get hurt. Right? So you'll follow the rules and it will go well for you. Um, but we tend not to do that. You know, humans want to rebel. We always want to rebel. We don't want to do what everybody tells us to do. I get that. And he's saying, look, it will just go better for you if you just do these things. And we are looking forward, I think, we haven't actually talked about this, to possibly uh, seeing this in action. <laughs> I mean, if, 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 if we obey and we do the things that he asks, are we really going to see, you know, fruit? And I mean, we don't have any fruit trees, but uh, are we really going to see this? And I suspect that we will. And not just for us, but I suspect that there are bunches of people like us that are totally bewildered and been moved into a place where he's going to be able to use it in the time to come because tribulation is coming. And we don't, you know, we're in Goshen, right? We're, we, we don't really have to go through all that. So how does that play out? I mean, how does that physically work? It's hard to envision how that works, but it doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me to see this is part of how that's going to work. Uh, Rabbi Hirsch, who is Rabbi uh, Samson Samuel Hirsch, born 1808, died 1888, was one of the leaders of the Orthodox Jewish movement. And he uh, cited a parable, which is not in scripture, so I don't know if he just made this up or whatever, probably just a teaching moment. And the parable goes, a king of a foreign land invaded this country, and the people fought back, but eventually were conquered. And so the king took over their country, and when he became king, he did not punish the people that fought back against him because they were doing their duty, really, and their right to protect their country, and it was well within their rights to fight with him. 
but he conquered them. And so now he said, I will make you full citizens. You'll get everything, you know, that all the other citizens get. You'll be just like everybody else, but you have to respect me. You have to do what the king asks you to do. And so as long as they did that, everything was fine. But the ones who rebelled against the king, they were punished. They were actually punished in a, you know, in a physical bad way. And so the message is, um, you know, he, he as king, and it was his country, and they were now his people. And he wasn't going to punish them because they fought against him in the beginning. But if they fought against him now, he was going to punish them. You can't rebel against the king of the country, right? I mean, that's pretty obvious. But the picture is, you know, most Christians say, well, how come they get away with why does Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and, and, and Hunter Biden get away with making billions of dollars and doing all that stuff? And we all know what they do. I couldn't do that. I would be in jail or worse, probably a lot worse. Why do they always get away with it? And Rabbi Hirsch is saying, because they don't know the king. And they fought against the king because they didn't know him. And the punishment is far less severe if you don't know the king. But once you know the king... Rebellion is a bad thing, and there's a price to pay. And he's, he's talking to his, you know, his people, the Hebrews, like that. And he's saying, if you didn't know God, and you rebel against him, like you're all doing, and I would suggest like most of Christianity is doing, they, don't, they say they're not rebelling, but they're not obeying. So if you're not obeying, then you're rebelling, right? There's no gray area there. But they didn't know who he was. <clears throat> Nobody ever explained who he really was. And once they knew who he was, they had a choice. Are you going to follow him or not? And if they chose to follow him, then you're under a different standard. And if you rebel then, then there's a punishment. There's something that has to happen. The king needs to get you in line, probably to save your life. Otherwise, you're going to die. And this is just a picture of um, you know, what, what, what he's doing. He gives you the commandments. We need to obey them because we know who he is. And we know what the commandments are. But if you don't know who he is, and you don't know what the commandments are, and you violate those things, then the punishment is not as severe. And those of us who know the commandments and obey them look around and go, well, that's not fair. Why aren't they being punished? They're doing far worse than I am. Well, just wait. <laughs> Their punishment is coming because they don't know the king. And that's the worst possible place you could be. And if at the last hour, they come to know the king. You know, it's like the, the, the guy who hired the, the helpers in the field. At seven in the morning, I'll pay you this much. And all the way during the day until the last hour, I'll pay you the same. And that's what that parable is about. If, if these guys that didn't know the king and lived like Hunter Biden or Hillary Clinton or any of those people, and at the last hour came to actually know the king and came to obey and desire to, to follow after him, if that was a real change in their heart, then they would receive the same that we do. And that's not unfair. That's, that's just in, in God's kingdom. You know, we would like to see a little, you know, punishment going on, but that's not how God rolls. And that's, that's the thing with this Parsha. It says in verse 21, and in between all these verses, there's just constant, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And it's, it's awful. You don't, you know, read it for yourself because it's not, it's not good. Verse 21 says, and if you walk contrary to me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. Okay, so the first ones we read, you know, fever, boils, you know, a lot of stuff. Eh, no big deal. It's ju it just gets worse. Seven times worse. And this is only the second stage. And this goes seven stages deep. So by the time you get to the end of the thing, it's, it's really bad. But this word contrary is kari, and it's from the word kara, which means to light upon by accident or to happen upon. It means casually. If you walk casually unto me, 
and will not hearken unto me. I will bring seven times more plagues upon your sins. If you walk casually, think about all your friends in the pews next to you and their attitude towards the word of God. He has laid out the instructions to stick to the path that he wants you on. And most people treat that casually, right? Oh, yeah, I'll do that. But I'm not going to do that. Oh, that's okay. But why should I have to do this? And you know, that's true. Most of the people we know who identify as Christians, most of the people that we um, enjoy being with at church, they're not interested in, say, the dietary laws. They don't they don't want us to not eat bacon and lobster and crab and shrimp and all that because they don't see a reason for it. Oh yeah. They, you know, the, the, the tourists said it, but you know, that, that doesn't matter to us anymore because we're, you know, we're under grace. All we gotta do is love our neighbor and we're good. Except it doesn't say that the Bible is abundantly clear that you need to obey him. So you walk casually with regard to most of the, the commandments and you keep, you know, I mean, I don't know anybody at church who's murdered anybody. There probably aren't that many adulterous affairs going on. Um, you know, they keep some, but they're pretty casual about most. I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins until they are so bad that you say enough. I want to know what the commandments are. I want to follow them. I want to learn them. So if you walk casually with God, wouldn't you expect he would walk casually with you? And yet we don't want that. We want him to know everything that's happening to us, fix everything that's going wrong. We want to do, you know, he's, he needs to be right there in front of us, plowing the way. But you're walking casually with him. Why, why, why do you expect he wouldn't walk casually with you? This, as, as we get to these seven times worse things, um, you know, wild beasts will kill your children and your cattle and um, your ways and your lives shall be detestable. And we've talked before about if you're an abomination or if you're detestable to God, uh, you can't reasonably expect to be camped with him, right? Because you have to agree with him. There's, in English, we would say there's no grace, right? You can't, you can't be considered detestable and abominable and camp next to the tent where God is. It's just not going to work. But that's how we live our lives. And I mean, you know, we don't, we don't obey all the commandments. And we should, you know, and it's a, it's, it's a walk. You, you watch Abraham and it was a hundred years of being devoted to God before he got to the part where God says, Hey, I want you to take your firstborn son, the son you love. I want you to come up here and I want you to sacrifice him. And he just said, okay, let's go. Three days walk. He didn't argue. He didn't worry. He, Cause he knew God. He knew his character. He knew he wasn't going to kill him. He couldn't, he'd already made a promise. It depended on that boy. He couldn't kill him. And if he did, he was going to have to raise him. Not my problem. It's kind of God's problem. So I'm just going to do what God asks. It's not like you can turn this on and off, right? It's a walk. It's a struggle. It's a wrestling match. It's something you, it's, it's a lifetime commitment. And we see through David and certainly through Abraham and most of these other guys that they weren't that good at it. You know, they weren't, certainly weren't perfect. They made their share of mistakes. And, uh, but that wasn't the point. The point was their heart was to follow. It's, there's no scorecard. You know, oh, no, no, he got 10 things wrong. He's out. You know, he's in the wild beast area. That's not the way it works. It's, it's your hardest to follow. They don't keep track of how many mistakes you make and, you know, what you did wrong. And 
He just keeps track of where your heart is. Is it for me? Is it for the things that I ask you to do? And I know you're not that awesome at a lot of these things, and that's okay. We'll get better as we go. And by the time you get there to the new heaven and the new Jerusalem, in fact, and I think I have it in here. We may not get to it tonight. Um, the verse that says, um, uh, what does it say? Um, they're basically, they're not perfect until you get to this new place. And then you, you won't be receiving teacher, teachings on who I am because everybody will know who I am. When we get to that point, call it heaven, the New Jerusalem, whatever it is, that, that place past the thousand years, nobody's going to be teaching you who Yeshua is. They're not going to be teaching what the commandments are. You're not going to sit under teaching like that because you already know. Nobody that will be there won't know. Only the people that know will be there. And that should frighten a lot of people because there are a lot of people that sit in pews every week that don't know, that don't really know who he is, that don't know what he said, that are not willing to find out his instructions and his commandments and are certainly not willing to live that way. You know, we've all been to church-sponsored things, and there's food that shouldn't be there. And every person that brought food knows the Bible says no pork, no bacon, no shellfish. Right, they know that. So why would they bring it? Why would they even risk it? You know, we're taught... In, at least in Calvary, they're sort of taught that Chuck used to teach. He used to say, I don't drink at all because I don't want to give the wrong impression to anybody. It's not that I can't drink. I just won't because I don't want to stumble somebody. And, you know, they would be wrong if they were stumbled by me having a beer. Not going to do it. So why would you bring bacon to a church function or shrimp or lobster, you know what the Bible says. Whether you think it's right or wrong, why would you do it? You know, we've been to church functions where everybody's drinking and that's fine. You know, I don't have a problem with that. We drink, we have wine all the time. It's not a big deal. It's not that you can't. It's just we don't at a Bible study because I don't know. I mean, we've had people in the past, may have people here tonight, I don't know, that are recovering alcoholics. Well, how would it be if everybody at the Bible study was having a glass of wine and you're a recovering alcoholic? So you have to say, no, I can't because I'm an alcoholic, or you have to drink and possibly relapse. I mean, well, yeah, and you trusted it to be a safe place. Well, we don't, we don't necessarily think that's a bad thing with alcohol, but why, do, why don't we think it's a bad thing with pork and, you know, and all that stuff? But I'm just saying, when we get to the end, when we get to the last place, nobody's going to be telling you that stuff. Nobody's going to be teaching you who you who is, because we will already know or you wouldn't be there. So if, you're, if you already know while you're there, that kind of means if you don't know, you won't be there. Okay, so 42 through 43, I think is next. Is it? What's next? Okay, 23 through 24. And you will not be reformed by me by these things. I will walk, uh, but will walk contrary to me. Then will I also walk contrary to you? Okay, that's what I just said. If, if you walk contrary to God, do you want him walking contrary to you? Um, I suggest none of us do, but many of us act that way. 42, 43. And I will remember my covenant with Yaakov. And my covenant with Yitzhak and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember, and I will remember the land. And the land also shall be left of them and shall enjoy her Sabbaths, while she lieth desolate without them. And they shall accept the punishment of their inequity, because even they despised my judgments, and because their soul abhorred my statutes. Okay, those were the people that were taken to Babylon. 
right? Why were they taken to Babylon? Because they ignored the law about the Sabbath. You're supposed to let the land lie fallow for a year, and they didn't do it for 70 years. So they owed them 70 years. And that's how long they were in captivity. But the interesting thing is I remember my covenant with Yaakov, my covenant with Yitzhak, and my covenant with Abraham. Does that seem weird? Does anywhere in the Bible it say Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham? It's always Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Well, this one's backwards. Why is that? I mean, that's one of those things that should be waving red flags and you should stop and find out why that is. Well, who's Yaakov? Us, right? Israel, us. So all of a sudden, this has shifted gears from the, the consummate Hebrew, the, the one that first they first called Hebrew, Avrim, who crossed over Abraham. He was the first Hebrew. And that's where it all started. And so when we read about the patriarchs, it's Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Well, he's not talking about the patriarchs like that. He's talking about us, Israel, the house of Israel. Those are the people who were scattered and will be uh, brought back later. They're assimilated into the country. They didn't even know who they were, but he knows, and he's going to bring them back. Well, it's interesting. In this very verse, the word Yaakov is spelled with a vav. Yaakov doesn't have a vav in it, but this is one of five places in scripture where Yaakov is spelled with a vav. And you think that's interesting. And the rabbis did a little digging and found out in scripture there are five places in scripture that Eliyahu or Elijah, which does have a vav in it, is written without a vav. Well, that's weird. So you read what the rabbis say about it. Um, and basically he says that it's uh, that us, the house of Israel, that Yaakov borrowed this vav from Eliyahu. And when Eliyahu announces the return of the Mashiach, he will get his vav back. It was a down payment because you've got Israel, who's us, and Elisha, Eliyahu, the Tishbite, who's us. He's a Gentile, joined himself to the house of Israel. And you know Eliyahu, right? You know him from um, the Pesach, right? We always set a place for Eliyahu. You know him from uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, I think, which is way down here somewhere. Um, and it says, I don't know what it says. Oh, here it is. Behold, I will send you Eliyahu, the prophet, before the coming great and dreadful day of Yahuwah. So you know who Eliyahu is. He's the guy who announces the Messiah. And who does he announce it to? The house of Israel, right? Yaakov. And it's I mean, how else would you explain why there's Yaakov written with a vav five times and Eliyahu written without a vav for five times? There's no explanation in scripture. You just have to see it and go, huh, well, that's interesting. So that's their explanation. It's tying those things together. It's tying the great and dreadful day of the Lord, the end of days, the day when, you know, he comes back to the house of Israel and the prophet Elisha. It, you know, and there's so much stuff like that in scripture. It's just, it's bizarre. Okay, so the, if we go back to 43, um, and the land will enjoy her Sabbath. Okay, so the, the people were, were, were taken to captivity for 70 years. So what? So the, so the land could enjoy her Sabbath. The land is always written of as a person, right? It groans waiting for the redemption and um, you know, there's a hundred verses that talk about the land as a person. It won't produce its, its uh, crops if the people are not holy unto the Lord. And that's the way it was for 1800 years, right? Israel, the land of Israel was just a God forsaken. And if you remember Mark Twain, when he went, he toured the land of Israel in like 1823 or something. And he said, it's the most God forsaken horrible, terrible, desolate place on earth that he's ever been. And he can't imagine how they could call this a land of milk and honey. Well, his people weren't there. And as soon as his people move back, the land of Israel has become 
the leading producer of almost everything, oranges and tulips and you know, pistachios and everything else come from Israel. Well, how is that possible? It's the size of New Jersey. It's because the land is like a person. It's a real thing. It's a living thing. And these people desecrated the land for 70 years and they owed them. <laughs> and so God took them captive until the land got her, her years back. Um, and I think that's the way it works. And again, I think about how it is we got, um, <laughs> I mean, I still don't know how, 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 how did <laughs> a couple of city slickers become, you know, green acres? I, I don't know. And the whole process, even, even the process of our acquiring seven gallons of wheat. How can that happen? Have any of you ever gone to the, to the nursery and requested a gallon of wheat to plant? I mean, do they have it? I don't know. I doubt it. And the only place I know of you can get wheat is for a wheat field, which is all Monsantoized. And so I have six gallons, weighs about 50 pounds of wheat. Why do I need that? Well, because he knew I was going to have a farm and it would be handy to have some non-Monsantoized wheat. I don't know. I mean, it, there's so many things that are just, and I don't know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they will. Well, we don't have months. They don't have any wheat there, but it would be a great place to grow wheat. Yeah, it's, it's just, I mean, all of this is beyond conception. It's just weird. Okay, so, so my question, and, it, it, you know, I, I don't know is do I let the land lie fallow every seventh year? Do I, you know, there's strict protocol on fruit trees. You plant it three years old, the first crop of at three, you don't, you just let it lay. I mean, you can eat what you can eat, but you can't harvest it or anything. Second crop you lay, third crop is donated to the tabernacle and you can eat the fourth crop. Okay, but I'm not in the land. Oh, I don't know. So we have, you know, lots of struggling to do with this stuff. Um, okay, let's slip down to 44 through 46. And yet for all that, when they be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, neither will I abhor them to destroy them utterly and to break my covenant with them, for I am Yahuwah Elohim. But I will for their sakes remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the heathen, that I might be their Elohim. I am Yahuwah. These are thy statutes and thy judgments and thy laws, which Yahuwah made between him and the children of Israel in the Mount Sinai by the hand of Moshe. We live in the land of our enemies, right? We live scattered in the nations. That's us. And he says, I, I, I will not cast you away. I will not forget about you. Just because you're not in the land, just because you've been told you're not, part of us or whatever don't worry I, I got this covered i know who you are i will not forget you he's going to remember for the sakes of the covenant of their ancestors so do you remember the covenant of the ancestors you know there were there were many covenants but um the one i was thinking of was in yermayahu chapter 31 and it says did you find that one your 31 yeah chapter 31 verse 31 it says behold the days come saith Yahuwah, that i will make a new covenant with the house of israel and with the house of Yehuda. not according to the covenant that i made with their fathers in that day i took them by the hand that brought them out of egypt which my covenant they break Although I was a husband unto them, saith Yahuwah, but this covenant I shall make with the house of Israel after those days, saith Yahuwah, I will put my Torah into their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their Elohim, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach, this is the one I was saying, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, No Yahuwah, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, saith Yahuwah, I will forgive their inequity, and I will remember their sin no more. Okay, so you will have that verse thrown in your face all the time, this new, com new covenant verse. 
and they get it out of Hebrews chapter 8, because Hebrews chapter 8 quotes this verse verbatim, except for one little thing. In Hebrews chapter 8, they added uh, your mind. It says, I will put my Torah in their mind and write it on their heart. But it's exactly a quote out of Jeremiah 31. So this is the Tanakh that this New Testament he's talking about is not the the covenant that Moshe made when he came down the mountain with the commandments written in the tables of sapphire, because that was written on a rock. And you would have to go to that rock and you'd have to read it and you'd have to remember it and you'd have to know it. And he said, he didn't say it exactly quite like this, but my paraphrase would be at the end, there will be my people scattered all over the world. They won't have access to that sapphire stone. So this new covenant, he says, is the same covenant. It's the same words, but this time I'm going to write it on their hearts. They will have it in their inward parts. They will know it. They don't need the stone anymore. So when Yirmiyahu is talking about that, that's, that's exactly what he's talking about. The time is coming. And he said, well, in, 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 this is after those days or at the end of days. This, this, those people who know Yahuwah will have this written on their hearts. And uh, Shaul adds, or whoever wrote Hebrews, and their minds. They'll have it written on their hearts and their word parts and in their minds. You will know it and you'll believe it and you'll do it and you will be saved. You'll be redeemed. It's as simple as that. So how many of our Christian buddies know it? How many of our Christian buddies know who Yahuwah is? If you said to them, Yahuwah said this to me, or Yahuwah said that to me. Yahweh said this to me. Yahweh said that to me. Would they even know who you're talking about? The Lord. The Bible says the Lord. Yeah, except that's not right. It's Yahuwah. It's Yahweh. And they, it was changed to read the Lord. And I don't know if it was changed for nefarious reasons, but it was changed. And why would you change the actual name of God for something as meaningless as the Lord? Oh, but we capitalized it. Awesome. You're golden, buddy. I don't know. That's the new covenant. People will talk to you about the new covenant. We don't have to do all that stuff. But just remind them, ask them to read it. And the new covenant is the same as the old covenant. The only difference is it's written on your heart and not on a tablet of sapphire. I don't have to go find that tablet to read it. I know it because God put it in my heart. And it's those people that at the end of days will not need to be taught about him or about the commandments or any of that stuff. Um, there's one other thing that I think is important. And again, this is, this is from, I think this might be from Rabbi Hirsch too. He's, he's talking about those people of the children of the nation of Israel who were walking casually with the word of God. They didn't believe all that stuff. And they didn't do it. And at some point, they started arguing about it and were not going to do it. And he's saying that those people are the reason that the people, that the enemies on the outside of the house of Israel can come in and control Israel because the people on the inside who didn't believe it were destroying it and opening the gate for the people on the outside. If the people on the inside and this, he was talking, of course, about the children of Israel. If those people believed the covenant, believed the, 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 the commandments and the instructions and the statutes, believed them and did them, there would be no way the disbelievers on the outside could come in. But because they didn't, they weakened the doors and the outside could come in. And, you know, he wrote that in the 1800s and he was an Orthodox Jew, didn't write it to us. And I would say it's 
it's true. It certainly was true with them, but I think it's true with us. Why are the churches so weak? That's why. Because most of the churches, most of the people in the church don't believe the commandments. They don't believe the instructions. They don't believe the statutes. That's what this Torah portion was about. And this Torah portion was the Torah portion when I was born. And this Torah portion was the Torah portion when uh, 10 days go by and all of a sudden our lives are completely upended and we find ourselves owning a ranch. And I can't believe that it's any other thing but the hand of God. And I hope that you guys believe that too, because you're part of that. And, you know, and obviously I hope you visit and, you know, come down and, you know, I hope you spend lots of time or maybe we could work it out so we could come, you know, come up or, or you know, I don't know how it's going to work out. But I want you to know that you guys are part of of this, of that farm, of this Torah portion. You know, we should live that way. And if, and if something happens and the reason we're down there is because, you know, I'm the only guy in Western Colorado that has five acres of wheat and we can make bread, you're welcome to it. <laughs> you know, if we have, I'm told that five acres of, you know, I ask, well, what about the baling and the, and, and, and the, the cutting of the, of the hay? I, I don't have a sickle and I can't do five. That's a lot of land. When you're standing at one end looking at the, I can't take a sickle to that. I can barely even walk that far. So how am I supposed to, well, you know, the guy who does our bail, he does it for us as a favor, but he's trying to retire. I don't think he's going to do it for you. Okay. Awesome. So I said, and she had her horses at five horses and, you know, squirt off in a little part of the pasture, just eating. And I said, how, how many, how many sheep or goats do you think it would take to, you know, kind of like keep this pasture sort of under control? She said, oh gosh, I don't know, a lot. Huh. So we replaced the horses with 20 goats and 20 sheep. I don't know. And they eat nine, 10 months of the year. I only have to feed them for two months. You know how many, we got one lousy little sheep. And we could have fed a hundred people with it that night. That was just a ton. I mean, 45 pounds of sheet or anything. That's a lot of meat. What if you have a whole field of them? Then what if the World Health Organization comes through and says, nope, all you can eat is insects. You're welcome to come down to our house. Because I know God did not do this for us. He's using us and we're happy to be used. And it seems like it could be fun. But like my brother-in-law says, are you crazy? This is going to be a lot more work than you do now. I won't be on a ladder. <laughs> but anyway, Shaul was talking to Corinthians or something maybe and paraphrasing them. He said, you don't need me here to do the right thing. And you guys don't need me here to do the right thing. You all know the truth. You all know where to find the truth. If you have any questions, ask Linda. <laughs> I will eventually get a phone. <laughs> she knows more than I do. Gosh. She is totally a sandbagger. She's completely a sandbagger. She brings me stuff every week. And she says, did you know this? It's like, uh, sure. I'll look into that. I don't know. But look, the point is, Paul couldn't be at, at Corinth and at Ephesus and at Philippi. And, and he said, I don't need to be here. Because you guys know the truth. Just do it. And I don't know how it's going to play out, when it's going to play out. We could be here for another month. We could be here for three months. I don't know. But to those of you who I mentioned this to after the last Passover debacle, I said, I just don't feel like I'm going to be doing another Passover here. And I said, I don't know if it's because the Lord's going to come back or I'll be dead or we'll be moved or nobody would come. 
yeah it's like oh yeah by the way i'm going to move you and make you a farmer that that was not you know on the on the radar screen but i mean it's not like he's just it, this has been a process and he's been working it out and we just haven't seen it and now we're to the point where we see it and i just want you to know you guys are part of it and you'll always be part of it and whatever happens happens and i hope you come visit and i hope we can come up and do stuff and anyway but you don't need me you already know this stuff just do it read it and do it it's pretty simple okay that's all i got why do we have something okay.